welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey Kingdom Culture family, welcome to our online experience. Thank you so much for tuning in. So excited to dive into week three of our peace series. If you've been tracking with us or if you haven't, I would encourage you to go back to the last two weeks. Really powerful messages as we build towards understanding what it means to walk in peace when it feels like chaos. And so I've been really enjoying diving into this series, especially during a time like this. So I hope and I pray that this has been and these messages have been encouraging to you. Once again, if you are local though, we'd love to see you. If you feel comfortable coming back into live and in person, we'd love to see you at Overflow Brewing Company. It's been a great few weeks as we relaunched uh, into in-person services after 23 months. And honestly, I got to say this, like what comes out on Sunday Live is very different than what comes out on these online experiences. But we respect the fact that so many people out there don't feel comfortable yet, or maybe you live abroad and this is where it works for you, and that's great, and we're gonna keep bringing it to you each and every week, as I said, and as we've been saying, for a shorter online experience. So please, share the broadcast, uh, You know, comment in the comment section, let us know how we can pray for you, uh, stay in touch even if you're not in person. We'd love for you to even join the team at some level, even if you're abroad or even if you are local and don't feel comfortable coming back yet to in-person services. But as I said, we are in this series. I want to do a little bit of a recap, this peace series. The first week we talked about, and based out of Exodus chapter 14, where God said to Moses as he led the Israelites to that Red Sea moment where it was impossible to cross over, and God said, hold your peace. Hold your peace. We talked about what it means to hold it, to hold our peace in the midst of these impossible situations and let God fight for us. Let God do what he's promised he would do in and through our lives. Week two, which was last week, it was uh, incredible, especially live. We just, I just felt like it came out so um the way God wanted it to, and that was living from within by looking up. We talked about, uh, and we spoke out of the passage of Mark chapter 4 about Jesus sleeping in the boat in the storm, and I just believe that that message gave us so many tools for this season, knowing that in every single storm that we ever will go through or have got, gone through in the past, peace was always the overarching promise in those moments and is and will be in future storms and future moments where we need God's peace. And so if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that. This morning, I want to speak out of, and I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I want to speak out of mainly uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. And the context of this, as you know, in the latter part of these verses in chapter 11 is Paul recounting the story of Jesus' last meal with his disciples. 
And so Paul is recounting this. He's going, going through it because he's bringing instruction during major device at a major divisive moment in the Corinthian church. And he's bringing instruction, order, hunt, understanding, because there was there is in this context division. There's fighting. There is a difference of opinion. There is just some major disagreement happening in this context. Right before Paul brings it back to remember, you know, when Jesus gave these instructions, the last meal that he had with his disciples, and he goes through the whole communion experience, which we have gone through over and over again as a house. But let me just pick it up before he goes there. In verse 18, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians says this, For in the first place, when you meet together in church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For doubtless, this is the Amplified, for doubtless there have to be, there have to be, there has to be factions among you. So that those who are of approved character, in the voice translation it would say it like genuine, those who are of approved or who are genuine may be clearly recognized among you. In other words, this is not how it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to be fighting about these things surrounding communion, having these disagreements, having these divisions. It's not how it's supposed to be. But in the end, it's probably a good thing to pull out the weeds. I'm going to dive into this in a few moments. So our subject title today is Verified. Write that down. Verified. Different opinions do matter. Now, I, I've called it this because I keep seeing this in my spirit. It's like on social media, many of you have, who are on social media would know that there are specific accounts, especially celebrity type accounts and big accounts, um, people that have large influence online that have a blue check mark beside their account. It's what's called the, verif the, the blue verification mark or it's the verified account. It's the right account. It separates the right account from all the fake accounts. Often the reason for this is when there are lots of fake accounts being created, Instagram or Twitter or other platforms will give that blue check mark for the, for the followers that need to know which one is the real account. So in other words, it separates the true from the false. The point of this is to prove authenticity. Like I said, to separate the real accounts from the fake accounts created. To be verified this way shows an approval of authenticity. In other words, who is legit while revealing who is not. Now let's go back to the scripture for a second and break down and dive into this passage a little more that I opened up with in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 18 to 19. For in the first place when you meet together in church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part I believe it. Verse 19. For there have to be, I love how he words it this way. There have to be. He doesn't say there shouldn't be. He doesn't say like I wish it didn't happen. He says for there have to be factions among you so that those who are approved character or of approved character may be clearly recognized among you. Now, this word for factions, I want to break this down for a second, is a strong, distinctive opinion. That's what it means. Strong, distinctive opinion. What Paul is saying is that there must be strong and distinctive opinions 
And this is the overflow of division, okay? There's division, which is actually a separate word, and then there are factions, okay? These divisions have caused a strong distinctive opinion. Another way to define this, whereas the term actually stresses a personal aspect of choice, the nature of a specific divisive opinion causing disunion. So Paul is saying there must be strong distinctive opinions, divisive dis divisive opinions that create disunion. Why? So that, it says, so that those who are, are approved, who are of approved character, may be clearly recognized, seen, made known. Why is it important? What's the word approved mean? The word approved means what passes the necessary test through scrutiny, okay? Means genuine, or the word could be defined as validated, or listen to this, verified. Validated or verified. This word was often used for the proving or testing of coins, confirming whether they were genuine, not counterfeited or corrupted. So why do we need factions? Why do we need differences of opinion? Because often, depending upon how those differences of opinions are navigated, post-opinion, post-division, will prove who is verified and who is not who has the maturity of God, the foundation within them to still seek out healthy relationship and those that just want their opinion heard, those that just want to agree or disagree for the sake of disagreeing, those that want division for the sake of division. Not that they actually have a difference of opinion. They actually don't want relationship. They don't want to reconcile post the opinion. They just want to voice their opinion. God wants there to be God wants there to be a difference of opinion within the body, but he also wants there to be resolution and reconciliation while there is a difference of opinion. Very important we understand this because this actually approves, and I said it in the very beginning, it's like pulling out the weeds. <clears throat> Some plants just don't belong in the garden. Now, I'm not saying, don't hear me say that... <clears throat> <clears throat> Now, I'm not saying, and don't hear me say, that you don't belong in the body of Christ. What I am saying is that if you want to seek to honor God in the midst of a difference of opinion, your goal is for resolve. Your goal is for reconciliation. Your goal is not just to voice your opinion without conversation. And I'm going to dive into this a little bit more. So why do we have difference of opinions and disagreements? Why do we have these why do these things matter? Because they actually prove, like I said, who is verified and who is not. It all depends on how both parties respond and move forward in the midst of strong, divisive opinions. Is the relationship more important or is the opinion more important? Have we forgotten our priorities? And we see this because in the, in the next verse, I didn't read this yet, in verse, chapter, in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, when you meet together... This is right after he talks about factions and those who are approved will be clearly recognized. He says, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. The translation is literally, you are not really interested in the original premise of why you gathered in the first place. You were distracted with things that were not important. Let's apply that principle to why you started in the relationship that you're in right now. 
Like you started off because you felt like this was the one for you. You started off that, you know, your marriage relationship or your <clears throat> fiance or your dating relationship, you really felt like this was the one for you. You wanted to commit. You wanted to invest your time into this individual. But now all of a sudden you're letting little things like the paint color on the walls divide you. Letting little opinions about things that don't and should not become priority in your relationship divide you and cause a disunion, so to speak, within your commitment. Or how about you started at the job you are at now and hopefully you didn't sign up for that job or accept that job offer because you agreed with every opinion of your colleagues or of management. Hopefully that's not why you joined the job. You felt like this was the job for you. You had the passion. You had the skills. You even had an amazing moment leading up to it where you really felt like there was divine intervention and God was on it. And now all of a sudden, you're struggling with your colleagues. You have very big disagreements. You're struggling with management, how they're doing things. Did you sign up for that job? Did you take that job expecting that you were going to agree with everything? No, hopefully you took that job because you felt it was the right thing. You had peace. We're talking about peace here. When things feel like chaos, go back to the first peace that you had when you stepped into that position. Sometimes we forget our priorities. You see, in this context, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, they forgot why they were gathering. They were arguing over things that did not matter. They were rushing to eat ahead of each other and there was competition and infighting happening even jealousy happening, causing them to sin, and yet they were missing out on the whole purpose of why they were gathering in the first place. It was, this moment was really proving who was doing it with the right heart and who was doing it with the wrong heart. Did you start something that you're in right now? Maybe with the wrong heart, I don't know. But look back to why you got into the thing that you're struggling with the most right now. Why did you get into that relationship or that job? Or how about why you came to that church? It's funny to me to hear people say and have said to me countless times that as a spiritual leader, I am not allowed, and I've heard this of many people, but it's been spoken to me, I am not allowed to share my opinions about certain cultural matters. So on one side of the coin, you have a group of people within the global church that says spiritual leaders should not have certain cultural opinions or at least share them certain culture because they create division. And then on the other hand, you have a whole group of people in the global Big C Church complaining about how pastors and spiritual leaders are not speaking up. And it's funny because they use this term often, and it's less about pastors and more about spiritual leaders. And it's like, I just wanna just say this, is that if you are a believer in Jesus, whatever mountain you are on in government, in business, in some form of, you know, church context, education, family. If you have Jesus within you and you're a leader, you are a spiritual leader. It's no, it's no, it should be no different because somebody has a focus within the church, raising up and equipping the body of Christ. We are all ministers of the gospel. We just have a different expression or, or focus of expression. We are all spiritual leaders. Therefore, our opinions do matter. Now, of course, not every opinion should be shared. Not every opinion sh uh, matters in specific contexts. What I'm, uh, you know, this, I want to hone in on that for a second. You don't just share every little opinion you had. That would be destructive. You have to be wise where you share, what you share, who you share it to, of course. But we have this idea 
that you know, <clears throat> uh, 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 like spiritual leaders at large should never share their opinions and often focusing on just the church. But let me just say this. And I think it's so, it's so very important that if we attend a church, I shared this this week on my social platform, if we attend a church because of someone's opinion, a leadership position's opinion on a matter, we won't stay there very long. If we attend a church because God has brought us there, when opinions are shared or even opinions change, which they do, we will have a maturity within us to have the conversations so that we can move through the disagreement or the difference of opinion because opinions do matter. They either, they'll, they'll either grow us deeper in relationship because we seek to resolve in our differences or they will divide us and separate us and we will miss out on God's best for us. Or how about why you decided to journey with that group of friends? Why did you decide to journey with that group of friends? If opinions can divide you, disagreements can divide you, you were never strong to begin with and lacked a foundation of maturity. If you have friendship with somebody that you started off, you know, genuinely you shared interests together, you love this individual, they're incredible to be with, hang out with, and now all of a sudden you have different opinions, whether it's on politics, whether it's on other cultural matters, on business or whatever, if you cannot move through and resolve through those disagreements, and I know there are exceptions out there. I know that there are radical exceptions. I'm speaking generally here. If you do not have the ability to move through for resolve, it really is a magnification of your maturity in Christ. Is the opinion more important than the relationship or is the relationship more important than the opinion? Very important we get this. The word opinion, even from the Latin, means think or believe. Think and believe. That's where we get this word opinion from. It gives us the understanding of how we think and what constitutes our beliefs. Or another dictionary definition could be a formal statement of advice by an expert on a professional matter. A view or judgment formed about something not necessarily based on fact or knowledge. The beliefs or views of a large number of or majority of people about a particular thing. Often, the way we think, what we believe, formulates our opinions. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're right, okay? We can have an opinion about Scripture, which is totally different. This is why we need to know Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our guide to go deep and understand the Word. We can formulate our opinions about what we think, but we always have to go back to what is the Holy Spirit saying? In, in seasons like this, we need healthy understanding of how to navigate chaos that has been created by the division of both popular and unpopular opinion. By understanding certain key truths, we will be able to find peace within relationships. That's what we're talking about today. How do we find peace within relationships when there is disagreement, when there is a difference of opinion? that clashes against each other? How do we keep moving forward? If I was to define this last two years, it would be a lot about this, a lot about how the difference of opinion, yes, there's so many other layers, okay? Don't just hear me say, well, Sean, there's so many other things, you know, people aren't taking science into account and all these different things. I'm talking about that, the, I'm generally speaking here. If I was to encapsulate the last two years, it would look as though opinions have divided people the most.
ways of viewing certain things have divided people the most. Big disagreements have divided people the most. And I said this statement when I got up on stage last Sunday live. For those of that were, for those of you that may were, may have been with us, or um, of course, if you're watching online, maybe you weren't with us. But I said this statement when I got up on stage, just before we prayed, actually, and it was something that I wrote down as I was pondering some things last week that I posted on social media. And since Sunday, a lot of people have asked me about it and and asked me to send it to them. So I'm going to read it to you. I wrote this, unity is not agreement, honor is not without conflict, loyalty is not without tests, real love is not conditional. And this is the beautiful mess of real relationships. Highlight the word real relationships. You can have relationships that often just feel like acquaintances, but to make that relationship real, like it's like marriage. When you've committed to someone, you've committed, you're committed in a friendship, you're committed to your wife, you're committed to your, your, your husband, you're committed in a relationship, or let's even apply that to your job. You're committed to your job. Know that and understand that unity is not agreement. That you're going to have conflict if you want to learn how to honor. You're going to have tests if you want to learn how to be loyal. And that real love is not Conditional. At the core of all of these is some form of divide, division, disagreement, and a differing of opinion, a potential breaking of relationship of sorts. It literally, at the core of all of these, all of these things could potentially happen when we don't have an understanding or a true understanding of the value of understanding these concepts and these truths. That when we are in disagreement, it doesn't mean we can't have unity. When we are in conflict, it doesn't mean that we cannot honor. And the list goes on. We desperately need to understand these four realities if we're going to make it in such a divided and opinionated time and season that we're living in. Your ability, write this down, to find peace within all of these proves or verifies your character like the scripture says. It proves and verifies your character. Now, some would hear maybe me say, well, Sean, are you saying that what we do, you know, proves our love for God or, or, or it proves that God loves us. And I'm not saying that although, although when you get to know Jesus, your response to these things reflects and becomes an overflow of your understanding of God's love for you and your love for him. And so we live out our faith. We don't just have a concept of faith, say we're in faith. Our faith looks like something. Our love for Christ looks for something. Righteousness looks like something. It's one thing to say, I am the righteousness of Christ in God, or I am the righteousness of God. It's a whole other thing to live that out and reflect it. And your reflection of it means you truly have a revelation of it based upon how you respond, how you react, your ability to find peace within all of these Four things I just read proves your character. Your understanding and practice of these truths is the blue check of the kingdom, the verification of your spiritual legitimacy. So let's dive in, and I want to break each point down, each point down, 
as we go. And I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching today and it might go a little bit longer. It's been going a little bit longer the last several weeks, but I, hopefully it's been encouraging for you. Number one, write this down. Unity is not agreement. Unity is not agreement. The word unity could be defined as the state of being united or joined as a whole, but it's not agreeing on every matter of opinion. It is not, let me say that again, it's not agreeing on every matter of opinion. And biblical unity, write this down, biblical unity is more about who unites us than what unites us. Biblical unity is more about who unites us than what unites us. If your doctrine unites you with your brother, you're missing it. If the way you think about every little scripture unites you, you're missing it. But when it becomes who unites you, you can be united with your brother and sister in Christ even if you have different doctrinal belief systems, even if you have different ways of viewing who God is as a father, his view of you, how he views you, how you view him. Those differences should not cause division and should not cause uh, a lack of unity just because you don't agree. Now, Paul is in jail. I'm going to bring it to Philippians chapter four. Paul is in jail. Paul the apostle, he wrote many books from jail, speaking at the first Christian community, probably in his two years stint in Rome. Philippians chapter four, verse one. Let me read what it says here. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, this is while he's in jail. I love, I love reading his jail letters because it just, it brings you into a whole new appreciation for someone like Paul who's suffering in jail, still being the most encouraging person in the room. He's in a, like, you know, it's like, imagine you in your toughest moments, in your darkest moments of life, you feel isolated, alone. You're still the most encouraging person out there. Like that is an encouraging word in and of itself, hopefully to anybody listening. But verse one, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you. Dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. He's he's literally thanking them. And while he's in jail, it's like, you're encouraging me. Like you're you're giving me reason to stay in this space of encouragement, to stay in this space of of joy and and seeing the good even while I'm in darkness. Now I appeal to, this is what he says in verse two, now I appeal to Yudia and Sintik, and, and he's speaking to two women, please, because you belong to the Lord. He said, settle your disagreement. Settle your disagreement. There was a disagreement. We don't totally know what the disagreement was. It could have been matters of leadership in the church. We don't truly know what it was about, but there was a disagreement that was affecting clearly a lot of other people. And if you break down this word settle, what it means to settle this disagreement, it means to live in harmony. It means to have understanding. What did I say earlier? We have to have understanding of these four things, these four statements that I made earlier. If we have understanding, we'll be able to settle the disagreement that is causing the conflict. Settle the disagreement that is causing the disagreement. Settle the disagreement that is causing our inability to love unconditionally. It means live in harmony, to have understanding. It means to regulate from within. Last week we talked about this. Luke 17, the kingdom of God is within. Romans 14, what's part of the kingdom? Peace, joy, peace, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Uh, Jesus, he's sleeping in the boat, Mark chapter four. What did he manifest when he spoke to the waves? Peace from within. 
This word settle means to regulate from within. An inner perspective or insight showing itself in corresponding outward behavior. Essentially equates the personal opinion fleshing itself out in action. Paul is saying, listen, settle it. Deal with it. Find harmony even in the midst of your disagreement. Have understanding of each other. Sit down. Get into a little bit. Get into a conversation. The reason why we don't often, often, I'm not saying all the time. Once again, there are always exceptions. Often the reason why we can't find harmony, even in the midst of disagreement, is because we don't have conversation. We don't seek the person's heart. We assume. We make judgments. Or we just don't listen. And we miss on the opportunity to settle. To settle is to find unity within the midst of disagreement. To find unity in the midst of disagreement. Now, if you fast forward down a little bit more, verse 6. I read the first two verses of that of Philippians chapter 4. But if you fast forward to verse 6, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. This is still in the same thought. Verse 7, Then you will experience... What? God's peace. You will experience God's peace. He's basically encouraging, in the midst of all this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all that He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. It's a peace that goes beyond our understanding. It's a peace that surpasses our understanding. You know that those times in your life when um, there's no reason on the outside you should have peace, but you have peace. It's like maybe your sibling or someone is in the hospital that you know, and you're not freaking out. You're not in worry. You just know they're going to be all right. You have a peace. It surpasses your understanding. Reasoning says, logically, that it's not good, that the diagnosis is not good. It's not going to go well. The chances are very slim, but somehow you have a peace that everything is going to be okay. It surpasses and exceeds anything, like the word says, we can understand. Listen to this. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Why is peace so important? It's a guard. It's a defense system. It's a defense system to keep the toxic things out and to keep holiness and righteousness and right thinking in. It's a defense system. He will his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live or as as you live in Christ Jesus. Now fast forward into verse 9. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and see me saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Now, just to, to kind of tie it back to this defense system, I love Proverbs verse 14, verse or Proverbs 4, verse 23. It says, Above all, watch, or above all else, watch over your heart, diligently guard it, because from a sincere and pure heart come the good and noble things of life. Some translations would say it like this: guard your heart, because out of it will flow all the issues of life. Guard your heart. What's a great guard for our heart? Well, Philippians chapter 4 says it. Peace. The peace of God will guard your heart. How do we guard our heart? The peace of God will guard our heart. Will protect us from letting the toxic things in that don't allow us to settle disagreement while we have the difference of opinion. Hope you're getting this and hope you're hearing this today. Has there ever been a case in your life or that you've seen in the last season of your life where you have seen or witnessed some major disagreement. I mean, let's just think about the last two years for, for a second. I have never seen so much division. 
I know, I know religion and politics have always been a very divisive thing within family relationships. You know, we hear about those gathering for Thanksgiving and Christmas and dinner tables and fights happening because politics are brought up or religion is brought up. But in the last two years, the thing that I've seen, and I've actually seen it, I've heard the, the, the stories, I've witnessed it with my own eyes, a very divisive thing has been everything to do with COVID-19. You know, those who are vaccinated, those who choose not to be vaccinated, and families not even seeing each other because of a difference of opinion on a matter that has to do with their own personal choice. It's so sad to me to see families that won't even gather at Christmas because not everybody agrees on everything. Now, I know you might say, well, it's more about the physical health, the physical risk, the physical, you know, fear. And I get all that. And I get that. I get the sentiment. And I understand there are specific cases, high risk people, but then there are some people that have no reason other than they just don't agree. And it's, it's put like a fog in front of their head. It's like now they've rejected you because you don't think like them. And that's where it gets dangerous. It's not even about a medical decision or about a health choice. It's about simply you don't agree and so you reject. We disagree so we can't have unity. This is not the heart of God. I've heard so many heartbreaking stories uh, in this last season. And now, I mean, now a great divider and disagreement is everything trucker convoy. Doesn't matter your position, whether you're for or not. It's like there is a huge divide. And I'm thinking to myself, man, like these things shouldn't even be controversial. And I'm not saying there aren't reasons for some of these things to be controversial. I'm just saying overall, generally speaking, I mean, first of all, every protest in history has been controversial, has controversy attached to it, has um, often violence and, and hate and racism and all these things attached to it. Every protest, I don't know, name a protest that hasn't had some sort of negative impact or some sort of, uh, uh, has created some sort of division or has had some bad apples. Every protest that I've ever witnessed, I've ever been a part of or seen or viewed has had some sort of negative thing. And it's sad that these are the things that are the most controversial in our day. When there are more controversial subjects like the fact that we believe in Jesus as the only way. Let me just say the most controversial, the most scandalous thing, Jesus is the only way. What does that mean? You don't believe in him? Well, guess what? You're going to miss out on life. That's very controversial. Righteousness is controversial. Hell is controversial. We're having conversations, I think sometimes about the wrong things. Now, I'm once again, don't hear me say, these aren't important conversations to have. I just think that we highlight things sometimes, make them uber controversial when there are actually way more controversial things out there that actually, in the end, in eternity, matter even more. Number two, write this down. Honor is not without conflict. Honor is not without conflict. This is a huge one. I've always said that dishonor is running from conflict while true honor is running towards conflict for resolve. Honor doesn't even exist, true honor, without conflict in the middle. You could say that you honor somebody, you can give them a gift, that's great, it's honorable, but real honor rears its beautiful head, its beautiful head, 
in the midst of conflict when you want to do everything but honor. That's where honor lives. It lives in that dark place. It lives in that hard place. It's not really honor when it's easy to honor. It's real honor to honor the Lord when it's really hard to honor. When it's really, um, it feels like it's pulling teeth to honor. Because you know that when you honor, you're actually honoring God. When you're in the midst of negative circumstances, dark circumstances. What does it mean to honor with your lips, but also in your heart and in your actions? Honor is not without conflict. Dishonor is running from conflict while true honor is running towards conflict for a result. It is dishonor to not deal with something that has caused trauma and drama in your life. To sweep it under the rug, pretending. It's like the, all those people in your family that have those no-go zones. You can't talk about this, you can't talk about that because the last time you did, it blew up in a fight. The more you sweep things under the rug, the more dishonor is bred. The more dishonor begins to come alive within the relationship. Our goal is to resolve. Our goal is to run towards it in honor. Your ability to resolve or at least pursue honor within conflict proves or verifies your character. It's the blue check of the kingdom. It's the verification, so to speak. And I always try um, and and... Those that know me, I always try and even have the proof to back it up in my life to always seek to resolve whatever conflict is around me. If I know that I was involved, if I know that someone has involved me, I do whatever I can to resolve that conflict. There's never been a conflict in my life that I have not pursued to try to resolve. Sometimes you come up against a wall, doesn't work, and your hands are tied, you can't do anything more. Sometimes you take that step and good things happen and there is resolve. And sometimes things just never feel like they get resolved. But honestly, here's the truth. Conflict and the resolve of conflict in the end does take two parties. It takes two agreeing parties to say, hey, we had some disagreement. We had some conflict, but we're going to honor each other and we're going to reunify ourselves even in the midst of our disagreement and even in the midst of our conflict. Now, conflict only becomes destructive when it's not managed properly with maturity. It only becomes, you could have good, healthy conflict and that's not destructive at all. It only becomes destructive when it's not managed properly with maturity. It's mismanaged. Let me read this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, back to our original passage. But in the following instructions... I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. There's conflict happening. There's more harm than good. There's more harm. Why? Why is there more harm than good? There is an inability to manage the conflict that's taking place. There's an inability to have a God perspective in the midst of the challenge taking place. More harm than good is being done when you meet together. In other words, the way conflict is handled is the evidence needed to prove maturity or to prove immaturity. Now, remember, the word factions means strong, distinctive opinion. A strong, distinctive opinion. And the word approved is where we get passing the necessary test or, the, or, or of scrutiny, um, making something genuine, validated, or verified, okay? So these conflicts are actually what pull out the weeds in your life. They actually approve approve who is verified and who is not. 
Now, this can sound very negative to some people, you know, because maybe you made a mistake and maybe you didn't handle conflict well. It doesn't mean that there's not hope. It doesn't mean that you can't come back and still have resolve. If you have the knowledge of the ability that you can come back and have resolve, you're in a good space. The danger, the danger is when relationships totally divide and divide for good because of unmanaged conflict. That's where it gets destructive. And the, the call of God, I mean, if you read Matthew 5, it's the, it's the what we call the be attitudes. Not the do attitudes, the be attitudes. The attitudes of being. To be these things is very important. Every beatitude, if you read it in Mark chapter 5, starts with you are blessed. Blessed are. If you are these things, you are blessed. That word for blessed literally means full and joyful. It means well-being. And so here we have in Mark or Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus saying this. And actually, actually, I was in the exact area in Israel where Jesus would have actually, they believe Jesus would have actually been sharing these Beatitudes, says in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers, peacemakers, ones who pursue peace. Not peacekeepers, very different, peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, because by the way, if you're a peacekeeper, you'll be pulled apart on all sides. But if you're a peacemaker, you're always pursuing peace, even if peace doesn't happen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. Why? Why is that important? Because being a peacemaker looks like the nature of God. And so as a son, non-gender specific, son or daughter, non-gender specific, as a son, you are representing as the son, the father. Like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I'm reflecting my father's image. So blessed are the peacemakers, those that pursue peace for the sake of reconciliation and restoration. They are identified as God's people, as God's children, as God's sons and daughters, because they reflect the very nature of the peacemaker himself. Jesus, Isaiah chapter 9, is the prince of peace. The prince of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of of God. This word for peacemaker is means it's to work for the Hebrew would call it shalom. To work for prosperity, to work for wholeness, to work for health, to work for joy, to work for to be a peacemaker is to work for harmony rather than strife and discord in all aspects of life. Those who reconcile others to God and each other will be called sons of God. This is what makes us true ambassadors of the kingdom. The Bible calls us ambassadors, citizens of heaven. This is what makes us true ambassadors and citizens. It's the reflection of our position in Christ. You know, I've had so many extreme moments like this over the years where there was conflicts and I needed to honor, keep honor at the helm. And I, I'm telling you, if there, if there was some seasons when I was tempted not to honor, and because once again, it's honor, true honor only exists really in the realm of conflict. That's when you're tested. You can say you have honor all you want, but now you have a disagreement, difference of opinion, some sort of a division, some sort of a conflict. That's where, okay, honor reveals its beautiful head or dishonor reveals its ugly head. We have the choice to let honor rise up or dishonor rise up. And I remember there were seasons of my life where I had to fight that. And I kept choosing honor over and over again. And I would say that all throughout my journey, 
in the last 20 years of spiritual leadership, I would say that honor has kept me sane and has kept me straight and has kept me on the right path. Dishonor would have sidetracked me, derailed me. Who knows where I would be today if I did not choose honor. Number three, loyalty is not without tests. Loyalty is not without tests. Matthew 26, 31 to 35. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. <laughs> like speaking to his disciples. For the, this is what, like literally he's about to die, about to go to the cross. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, okay, his right-hand guy, the oldest of all the disciples in his early 20s, Peter declared, if I, if everyone else deserts you, it's like, I'm the man, I'm the leader, I'm the bold one, I'm the talker. If Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, actually, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. You will deny that you even know me. 35, verse 35, no, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples vowed the same. Now, without reading the last part of the story, we know Peter, Jesus' words came to pass. Peter denied Jesus three times. When Jesus needed him to stand up the most, Peter denied him. Why? Because loyalty is not without tests. You say you're loyal. You're never going to deny. Let me just tell you, be careful. Because by the time the rooster crows, you'll have already denied me and failed three tests in a row at a time where I needed you the most. Other words, I will not deny you until you wrong me, until you say something I don't like, until I have to risk my life for you, which is what Peter was literally living at the time, until I have to choose my comfort or my commitment. I could say a lot about this one, a lot about this one. I mean, it's in relationships, you guys, like in marriage relationships, you, you are loyal to one. You are always going to have tests. You are always going to have tests in your friendships. You're always going to have tests in your communities, in your jobs, in your careers. You're loyal to a cause. You're loyal to a vision. You are going to have tests. In fact, the tests are what strengthen your loyalty. They're actually designed to strengthen your loyalty, to strengthen your commitment. I mean, just read John chapter 6. People left Jesus because Jesus said some stuff that they disagreed with. People left Jesus. A whole bunch of crowd members that were following him, he said, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no part with me. And then a whole bunch of people left. They said it was a hard saying. They couldn't handle it. He turns to his disciples and said, are you guys all going to leave too? Did I not choose the 12 of you and yet one of you is a devil? Speaking about Judas. He's like, I just said some stuff that you don't agree with. You've said and committed your loyalty to me. Now I'm testing you. Are you going to leave too like the rest of them? Are you going to follow the crowd? Are you going to follow the others? because of some heavy words. Because you see, if the crowd that left Jesus, if they had just pursued understanding and said, wow, we can't handle those words. Like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Those are some heavy words. Those are some harsh words. Those are some like really like heavy revies, you know? If they had just stopped and sought out conversation, I bet you they wouldn't have left. If they had understood deeply, because you see this in scripture where the disciples, they would be hearing Jesus talk, they wouldn't understand, and they would pursue him privately to seek understanding. And all of a sudden, they'd be like, oh, I get it now, I get it. I didn't get it, because you speak in parables. I didn't get it, but now when I sought you privately, I get it, I got it. Why? Because conversations 
are a huge aspect to healthy relationship resolving conflict. When there is a disagreement, a difference of opinion, we have a platform today called social media where everybody gives their opinion there, but seek out little conversations in with people and being in the room with them, with, with them. If we would just come together and have more conversations, I guarantee you we'd be able to resolve a lot of Facebook, social media battles that are so unnecessary. Now I get it, there are people that you're never gonna sit with that are around the world, that's different. But I'm talking about those that you know, those in your inner circle, call the people. I've had so many people that I've called over the years, like I'm not gonna have a conversation with you on social media or even in an email, I'm gonna call you, we're gonna sit down face to face, because that's what real relationships do. Heart to heart, face to face. That's the goal of heaven, that's the goal of God. God was, I don't believe God has would ever have approved and designed it to be that we only talk through text, only talk on the phone, and only talk through social media DMs. I just believe that God, and I, I get it, there's exceptions for people that are around the world, but for the most part, it's God's design for us to be heart to heart. You know that relationship was like that. But it says in, and I'm gonna go off on a rabbit trail for a second, when, when Moses, when Moses, it talks about in Numbers, that Moses would meet with God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Okay, it talks about that him, he would go in the tent of meeting, back before there was a temple, physical temple, this was like the, the temporary temple that was moved around 40 years in the wilderness, he would go and meet with God in the tent to get counsel from God to lead the people of Israel through the wilderness. But he would meet God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The word face to face literally means I'm so close to you, I can feel your breath on my face. I can feel your breath on my face. That was the image. I can feel your breath. To have close contact, that's where real relationship happens. Now I'm not saying you can go, you know, go blowing everybody around you. It's like, yeah, we're in real relationship now, you know. I'm just drawing an image for you that real intimate relationship is in close proximity. You can only be at, you can you can only be so deep if it's only digital. It's close proximity. I would encourage all of us to go there. I remember, you know, like it's crazy because and I was saying this that well, he's not without tests. So, and I have lots of stories about this, just being in leadership and just being, you know, having a platform, having some form of influence. As a church leader, especially, you know, so many people that, that come to me and say, like, we're all in and, and we're all in and no matter what happens, we're all in. And I, and I always appreciate, you know, the encouragement and the, and the, the, the passion and, uh, um, you know, behind that and the zealousness behind that at the same time, in my mind, I'm like, usually, yeah, and, and I say this to myself too as well, that's why I don't make big commitments unless I am all in, just in my words, um, you know, until there's a test, until there's something that I say that you don't like, or we say, or we believe as a leadership team or a culture, or something happens that you don't, you don't like, you may not be so all in. I had this one couple, precious couple, amazing couple, and they literally had exemplified all in on every level. They were an older couple. This was years and years ago. And um, they had exemplified on so many levels that they were all in, just in their actions. And uh, I just remember one day, and they would always tell me this too, like they'd always tell me they were all in. And as soon as they found out who some of my relate, my spiritual, global leadership relationships that for the most part are really highly respected. As soon as they found out 
some of my relationship and my associations, they were like, I can't be a part of this anymore. Just because of some relationships, people that they never met, they never knew, they just maybe saw some sound bites online, without even a conversation with me, they made a decision to disconnect themselves, to disconnect themselves just because of some, this is just such a small fraction of many stories that I can share with you about that. But let me just say this, every relationship, every commitment that you are loyal to will have tests, will have tests. Number four, last point, real love is not conditional. This is a big one. Real love is not conditional. Real love is not conditional. I always say this to, to young married couples, but also pre-marriage couples. It's all, all, usually to the guy, because that's usually my conversation. And it's usually prior to maybe um, asking them, the, the female, to marry them. Maybe it's during the engagement, they're having cold feet, they're wondering. You know, they went into this dating relationship, things weren't perfect. The girl didn't check off everything on their ideal or their ideal list of what they thought their spouse was going to be necessarily, or maybe they did. But there's some things going on right now. Maybe they're struggling in their health. Maybe they're changing their opinion on certain things that they didn't have an opinion on before they started dating. And now they're wondering, like, uh, if, if she doesn't meet all the conditions, maybe she's not the one for me. If she doesn't check off on all the conditions, like if she doesn't meet A, B, C, D, E, I can't do this. And I always challenge them and say, well, since when is love about conditions? Because tomorrow her opinions can change. 10 years her opinions can change. 15 years from now, she can become a quadriplegic. Does that mean because of the what ifs, you don't commit? Because love has no conditions. Yeah, love in the world has conditions, but that's not real love. True love, True love is Jesus laying down his life for humanity. There's no greater love than this, Jesus said, than one who lays down his life for humanity, for his friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. First John chapter, chapter, chapter 4, for, for God first loved us. He chose us. He first loved us. You didn't love him. He loved you knowing you were going to reject him, knowing that you were going to turn your back on him, knowing that you were going to get into all kinds of crazy stuff that was going to destroy your life and rob you of 40 years of your life that you could have had awesome that were different. Yeah, he can redeem you for the next 40 years and he does that and he's amazing. But throughout your life, throughout our life, Jesus knew what we were going to pick before we chose, before we picked it, and yet Jesus loves us. Yet he died for us, Romans says, yet while we were still in sin, he died for us. He laid down his life. That's love. Ephesians 5 charges the man to lay down his life as Christ laid down his life for the church, for the bride. Jesus says to lay down your life as a husband for your bride, your wife as Christ did for you, for the church, for the bride. We're given this charge to love without condition. And I always challenge the men, you have to pretend that maybe sometimes all these bad things are happen are gonna happen and is she worth it enough that you're gonna love her unconditionally even in her mess, even in her struggle, even in her challenge. I know that all the women are like, yeah. Are you willing to lay down everything and love without condition, even if she doesn't check off all the boxes and meets all your conditions? Because that's not love. That's not love. Because if you go into a committed relationship on conditions, that relationship will break on the conditions when they're broken. It won't last. But if you go in 
with unconditional love. It doesn't matter what conditions are broken, you still aim to move forward in the relationship because you are committed. Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 5, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. This really just screams, I've loved you unconditionally from the start without conditions, without conditions. I want to close with this, John 16, verse 33. I love John 16. Jesus is preparing his crew for when he departs, preparing his team for when he departs. But what's going to happen to them? They're going to have some disagreements because unity is not agreement. They're going to have some conflicts because honor is not without conflict. They're going to have some tests of their loyalty because loyalty is not without tests. They're going to have moments where they want to maybe love conditionally, but they're reminded to love unconditionally. And Jesus says in John 16, verse 33, last verse as we close, I have said all these things to you. I'm preparing you for when I go, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have trial. It's a promise. It is a promise. You will have all kinds of garbage thrown at you. Because you live in a world that is unredeemed. You as a person may have been redeemed, but you live in a world that's unredeemed. In this world you have tribulation, but take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. In that statement is the key to walking in supernatural peace in the midst of everything that I just shared. All four that I just shared understanding that he, again, is the Prince of Peace. He's overcome. When you're in it, when you're in the disagreement, remember that it's an opportunity for the verification of the kingdom to come upon you. Now, don't hear me. I'm not saying strive to, to, to prove yourself to God. What I am saying is that have a revelation that he is with you in it, and it will happen as a byproduct. It will be the overflow of your understanding of the truth of who Jesus is. Let me pray for you, God, I thank you for everyone watching. I just pray right now, if you wanna lift your hands, if you wanna just stop whatever you're doing and just close your eyes for a second, I just pray that however these four statements have been made real or currently are real in their life, that they would have an understanding, we all would have a greater understanding about how all these things are actually good. That different opinions do actually matter because they give us an opportunity to overflow with grace, to overflow with mercy, love. That understanding all these things really help relationship get real. It's the beautifulness of real relationship. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you'd heal relationships right now. Father, son, daughter, mother, Sister, 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 brother, 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 cousins, extended family, in the midst of all kinds of dividing times or all kinds of controversial and even non-controversial topics that you would heal and mend families, restore families. Help us to go back to the truth of this and say, hey, it's actually a part of it and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I can, my part. Do your part. Don't expect them to do their part. You do your part. You pursue, maybe sister to sister, you've had a strained relationship because something you said, something you did, and you're thinking, there's no hope. I can't reach out to them. Let me just tell you that there is hope. And at the end of the day, 
when you die, you're accountable for you, not them. Mm-hmm. And you might say to yourself, well, I'm not going to do it because she's not going to reciprocate it. Let me just say, once again, you're accountable for you. You do what you need to do to lose the guilt off of your conscience, to honor God in the relationship, and then you trust God with the process and you watch what he does. Yeah, it may take five years, but you plant the seed of the hope for resolve, you plant the seed for the hope of restoration, you plant the seed for the hope of healing, and you watch what God does because God is faithful to water the seed. But sometimes we're afraid to throw the seed down, we're afraid to pursue the resolve, we're afraid to move through the conflict because we think more conflict's gonna happen. It may happen. It may even get worse before it gets better, but at least you're doing the right thing. At least you're stepping out and holding yourself accountable in the end. I just believe God wants to restore relationships in this season, wants to restore friendships, marriages, family relationships, extended family relationships, business. I see out there somebody watching business relationships. You have a strained business relationship. It's been divided. Maybe you went your separate ways and it's actually robbed the friendship. You once in the beginning, you were friends in the beginning and then you added business into it and now your friendship has been tarnished. I believe God's gonna give you the tools, the grace, and the seeds to plant in this next season to help mend that friendship again. What matters more, the opinion, the disagreement, the conflict, or the division, or the relationship? God, I pray for relationships to be the priority. And as we make relationships the priority, God, I believe this, that we're simply honoring you the most important relationship in our lives in Jesus' name. So God, I thank you for what you're gonna do in this season in Jesus' name. God bless you, Kingdom Culture. I hope that was encouraging to you. We'll see you next week.